Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Just to kind of catch you up where we're at, if you're just joining us. What we're doing is we're looking at the stories and the lives of all these great saints that have went before us um, throughout Scripture that the book of Hebrews actually says that they have a great reputation because of their faith, Um, not necessarily because of all the great works that they did. Some of them did some great works, but it wasn't because of their strength. It was because of the faith they had in their God. But then there's also others that gained a great reputation in a life that was faith-filled that wasn't so glamorous. And scripture says that there are those that were sawn in half. There were those that were thrown in the lines and there were those that, that were beaten and imprisoned. And it says that they still gained a good reputation because of their faith. I wanna have a good reputation and I want my faith-filled story to be one of all success. But we know that that's not the case in life, right? but it doesn't negate the power of our God, right? It doesn't underestimate the power of the faith that we have in him. And so last week we looked at, does anybody remember the prophet's name? Wow, you know you make your pastor feel good when nobody remembers the the prophet's name. It was Elijah, Elijah, say it with me, Elijah. And a quick story, just a quick, and I meant to tell this last week, and I forgot, and my wife reminded me. Um, I have three girls, right? And we have had a boy's name picked out from before we were having kids. Like, because like I, every dad wants a son, right? And so Elijah Thomas was going to be our son's name. Um, first child came, we didn't get to use that name. Saved it for the second child. Second child came, we didn't get to use that name, another girl. Third child, we're expecting a third child, I'm thinking, and this was after my father has passed away, and I'm thinking God is going to redeem the loss of my father, and I'm gonna get a son, gonna get a son. And so it's about a week before we go to the doctor to find out what we're having, and no lie, I have a dream, y'all, where I take the name Elijah Thomas, and I write it on a piece of paper, and I put it in the shoebox, and I bury it in the backyard, like I'm burying like a pet goldfish or something. And and I'm like, in my dream, I'm crying as I'm burying this box, and I wake up the next morning, and I roll over, and I tell Jennifer, I was like, we're having a girl. Guess what I've got? Three girls. And I wouldn't change it for anything. But anytime I read about Elijah, I just think about God, you know, you didn't give me what I want, but you gave me what you wanted me to have, right? 
And so when we look at these prophets and, and we look at these stories, we have to realize that in our life, we may not always get what we want, but we get what he wants us to have. And what he wants us to have is way better than what we think we want, right? And so we looked last week at the prophet Elijah, and, and he was this great man of God who had all these ups and downs. And in the end, when he thought he was left all alone, God said, no, I've reserved 7,000 prophets that have not bowed to Baal, the false god. And as a matter of fact, I've got another prophet, Elisha, that you're going to anoint to take your place. And I have all these other kings set up so that you are not alone. And so we're going to look at this transition between Elijah and Elisha. Everyone say Elisha. Elisha. I'm going to try to get that right. Because you know, when you're preaching on Elijah and then Elisha, I may get tongue-tied. But today we're talking about Elisha. And if I say juh, it's okay for you to say shuh. I'll be okay with that, right? And so here's, here, here's a quote that you may have heard from Mark Twain. It says that the two greatest days, the two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day that you find out why, right? We, we've heard that. And that is true on so many levels, especially for those of us who are believers, because we have not just been born but for those of us who are following Jesus, we have been born again. And, and there is something that happens when we are born again that, that the life that we had, God translates it and moves it from the earthly kingdom to the heavenly kingdom, and there is a greater purpose in our life. And so we, we really get another, like we, we know the day that we're born, but then the day that we are born again in a relationship with Christ we know that we have a greater purpose in our life than just someone who's outside the kingdom that hasn't discovered it yet. So, so in the church world, we, we use this word calling. We use this word calling that, that people have callings on their life. And, and I want you to know that every single one of us have been called in two ways. We've been called to salvation, that through Christ's sacrifice, that God has, has pardoned our sins, and so we've been called out of the world and called into a relationship with him, into salvation. But it does not stop there. That we are also called to expand his kingdom, that we're also called to a purpose to participate in his work on this earth. Does that make sense? That we're not just called to get saved and stay safe. And a lot of believers at times, we can live that way. We get used to our comfort and, and, and habits, and we accept the first calling, but we have a hard time accepting and stepping into the second calling because that does require a little bit of work on our part. The calling to salvation requires no work on our part. It's all completed. It is a finished work, but the call into our purpose and into what God, the work that he has for us does take some work. And, and there's different seasons. There's different platforms. There's you know, private callings. There's public callings. There's a calling to minister to the multitudes, and there's callings to minister and to impact a few. But regardless of your season and your platform and where you're at does not make it any less or more significant because in God's hands, everything is significant. And, and, and Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and it's been one of my life verses. I didn't get it 
to put on the screen, but it's Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 2. It's, it's even in my email address so that it, like, that's, it's lodged in there. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says this. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Other translations say we are God's, you probably know it as what, masterpiece. We are God's greatest creation. We are his greatest piece of work. We're his masterpiece created in Christ to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. So we're created new in Christ. Listen, we're, we're called to salvation in Christ, but we're called to salvation in Christ to do, everyone say do, do good works, not just think about it, not just read about it, not just dream about it, but we're called to salvation in Christ so that we can do these good works, fulfill our calling that was planned before we were ever born. And that's hard for me to wrap my, like, like God knew that I would be a youth pastor. He knew that I would be a father of three. He knew that I would plan a church. Like all that was planned out before I ever took my first breath is what David says. All the days of my life were laid out, were placed before I took my first breath. And so each one of you in here today, you, you have a calling. You have a calling to salvation, and you have a calling because of the gifts that are in you to expand God's kingdom. And so what we see happening in the next few moments is, is God taking the calling of Elijah as the prophet of Israel and passing that on as a calling of prophet for Elisha. And each one of us, God has a call for. He's gifted us. He's given us personalities, relationships. And, and if you want to, to like let us help you discover how to do that, we have a process called um, Starting Point here at Avenue Church where we do you know, spiritual gift surveys, we do personality profiles, we, we, we walk through how God has, has wired and designed you and gifted you to play a role in fulfilling the second calling he has on your life, right? And so we look at the story of Elisha. Um, God has just told Elijah, right, that, look, I need you to go and anoint Elisha to be the prophet for Israel after you. And so now we see in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. So a few passages here. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. And so this was before the days of John Deere, right? And you, you used oxen and they had these yokes on their neck and you had a little plow. And so you couldn't, like, if, if you were lower class, you maybe had one oxen or one pair. But Elisha is plowing in his family's field where there are 12 pair of oxen, which means that the family was probably a little wealthy, a little prestigious. They had some things. And so Elisha's plowing, and it says that Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak, some translations say mantle, threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Come back to that. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you, done for you. Think about what's happening in this moment. Go back and do what you need, but think about what's happening. 
So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast the flesh of the oxen, and he passed around the meat in the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now, if you're just out plowing in a field and someone comes by, or if you're fishing off a bridge and someone comes by and throws a cloak over your shoulders, you're probably gonna throw it off and run and hide, okay? But Elisha knew what was taking place. He knew who Elijah was. He had probably heard the story of Elijah calling down fire from, from heaven and, and you know, destroying all the prophets of Baal. He'd probably heard the greatness of Elijah. And what you have to understand about a cloak, um, prophets of God wore a specific cloak, and, and that was almost like their uniform. That was um, kind of a marker of who they were. And so when Elijah walked past Elisha and put the cloak on him, he understood what was happening, that he was being called out of the field and plowing to follow Elijah and whatever that looked like, that, that the ministry of the office of the prophet was going to transition from Elijah to Elisha. Elisha understood that. But, but here's what I want us to realize. Elisha was not in ministry school. Even though in this time there were schools of prophets where people who had the gifts of prophecy, they would go and learn from other prophets on how to hear from God and how to give the word of God. Elisha was not there. He was in his parents' field. His dad was not a prophet. Elisha was just a good old boy helping the family business. And God saw Elisha's faithfulness. And that is what brought on his calling. And so, man, I've been doing this a while, and I hate saying I've been doing this a while because I remember my pastor saying that, thinking he was real old to stop saying that. But truth doesn't change, even though I want it to. I've been doing this a while, and I've seen the ones that last longer in ministry and last longer in what they feel like God's called them to do are the ones that have been faithful where they were at originally. And, and I think Elisha would tell us, look, if you want to receive a calling of God on your life beyond salvation, like you have to be found faithful where you're already at. You have to be found faithful where you're already at. And I've seen this happen in my life. I've seen it happen in other people's lives. And it's not just a ministry thing. Like you want to find favor and calling within the workplace, be faithful with the little things that are put in front of you right now. And so many times, you know, as humans, we want to do the extra credit because we don't want to do the assignment. And we think if we do the extra credit, it will like outweigh the missed assignment, but we still miss the assignment. We still miss the assignment. We still miss what we were supposed to learn by doing the assignment. The extra credit is just to try to get us a better grade, but it's not about the grade. It's about what we're supposed to learn through the assignment. And so Elisha had been in his father's field plowing for who knows how long, and God sees his faithfulness and honors his faithfulness. And this just isn't like the first time. We see this all throughout Scripture. Moses was watching his father-in-law's sheep when God spoke to him through the burning bush. David was, was going to deliver some bread and cheese to his brothers when he had the opportunity to face the giant. 
We see even that, that, that Peter, James, and John, they were faithful fishing in their father's business when Jesus called them. Jesus was faithful to his father's business. And can I even say this? Do you guys know who Paul is, right, in the New Testament? He was a guy named Saul, right? He was even faithful. He was even faithful to what he felt like he was supposed to be doing in destroying the church. As a matter of fact, he was on his way to complete a mission when God called him because if you're faithful, even, can I say this? Even maybe if it's against the things of God, but God's working in you, he will take the faithfulness that is on the inside of you for worldly things and he redeems it for heavenly things. But we have to be faithful where we're at for God to call us. It's in our faithfulness and the things that we have now that prepares and positions us to receive a higher calling. Um, when, when, so when we're faithful, God calls us in that faithfulness. But when that calling comes, something happens. We have to make a choice. A calling requires a choice. And so Elijah comes by and puts the mantle, the cloak on Elisha, and he keeps walking. He keeps walking. And it says Elisha runs after Elijah. He takes steps towards his calling. So we have to, we have to make a choice to take steps towards that calling. He could have stayed on the plow. He could have stayed going the course, but he knew what he was being called to. And before he went home to talk to his mom and dad about it before he took a step towards it. So when God calls us, we have to take a step. And sometimes that first step is the hardest step. That first step is the scariest step. Actually, yes. There are times we want to see all the steps before we take the first step. And God's like, if I show you all the steps, You'll never take the first one. <laughs> like thinking about moving to plant the church. If I knew COVID was going to happen in 2020, I would not have moved in 2019. I wouldn't have taken the first step. I know me, right? God's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you what's coming because I want you to trust me when it gets there, right? Because had I known, I wouldn't have got there and wouldn't have had an opportunity. And so when, when God calls us, we have to take a step towards it. We have to choose to take a step towards it. And the other choice we have to make is we have to choose, requires a choice to make a sacrifice for it. We have to make a choice to make a sacrifice for it. Like when God calls us to something, no matter how big or small, like there are some things, guys, that, that we have to give up. You know, he's had to say goodbye to his parents, and there was probably an inheritance from his parents that he may have missed out on because he's leaving the house. He, he, he burns the plow. He, you know, slaughters the oxen. And what's he's, what he's doing, he's, he's saying, this that I have that is most important to me now and is my um, well-being, it's my income source, I am surrendering that. I am sacrificing that so that I can pursue the next thing that God has for me. And can I be honest? Like sometimes we'll hold on to something as a safety net just in case. You know, one of the, one of the easiest examples and funniest examples is when we're trying to lose weight and we lose weight and, and, and the clothes that we had were, are too big for us. What do we do with those clothes? 
we hold on to them and we put them in the back of our closet just in case, right? Listen, I've got some pants that, you know, I keep and I'm back in them again. I will be out of them again at some point, right? But there are things in our life that we hold on to as a safety net because we think if it doesn't work out, I can just go back to that. And so Elisha, by burning the plow and by slaughtering the oxen, he's saying, I now have nothing to go back to. I have no choice but to move forward. And so when God calls us, you and I, we have a choice because the calling will continue to move. The calling will continue to move. As a matter of fact, there's a story in the Old Testament of, of, of a Queen Esther has an opportunity to save her people. And her uncle says, either, either you step into this calling or God is gonna raise somebody else up to do it because he's gonna save his people. You and I, when God calls us, we have a responsibility to, to make a sacrifice and to make a step. And, and Elisha understood this. And this is what he did. This is what he did in verse 21. It says, then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Not a lot of info after that. There's not a lot of info about the time of his calling until the time of his installment into the office, but most scholars say that, that there was a period of about 10 years that Elijah spent with Elijah as his assistant. You know, not, not the, um, what is it, the regional director, like Dwight and, and, and Michael, right? He was the assistant to the regional director, not the assistant regional director. So Elisha was not the assistant prophet. He was the assistant to the prophet. And, and here's what I've found in my life, and you have experienced in your life. You may not have really understood it this way, but God will call us to submission before he sends us on mission. He calls us to submission before he sends us on mission. And what submission means is it means to come under another mission. It means to come under another mission. So in a world where all it takes is a cell phone and an Instagram account, a social media account, to be an influencer and to have thousands of followers. There are people that are trying to create their own mission without ever serving someone else's mission. And so there are things that are being missed out on and being learned and you know, would, would not trying to bring a somber moment, but part of the reason that I believe God has allowed my wife and I the honor of planting this incredible church in Murfreesboro is because we were under submission to another man, another couple's mission for 20 years. And I did everything from cleaning toilets to painting rooms to sleeping at kids camp, like whatever needed to be done, I was in submission. But we don't wanna submit to things in our culture. And that's even infiltrating into the church culture. Like even, even this weekend when we were at the visitation and the funeral for my pastor's wife, he needed a stool because he was tired. I found out he needed a stool. I'm not on staff there. Guess what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to find my guy's stool. I'm going in the green room going, trying to, because I am still submitted to him. Because this mission 
would not be taking place without his mission because we are a part of that. And so before God calls us on mission, he calls us to submission, to an authority. He calls us submission to, to first the process. Let me go back first to a process. He calls us to submission to a process, to a process. And sometimes it takes time. Elisha, from the time he's called to the time he's installed, it's about 10 years. David, from the time he's anointed as king, as a shepherd boy, to the time he sits on the throne is about 15 plus years. Jesus, 30 years. The disciples, three years. There's a process, and it's not always in a classroom with a notebook and a pen and podcasts that it's real life. It's messy. It's in the wilderness. It's in pain. It's, it's not comfortable. As a matter of fact, God even said this about Paul. He says, I'm going to make him an instrument, and I, I want to make sure I say it right. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Don't sign me up for that process, <laughs> right? Don't sign me up for that process. But we don't want to submit to those kind of things. And so we, we have to be okay with submitting to the process, submitting to the process. We have to submit to his people. And I actually meant to change this. It's not just to his people, but to his authority. We have to submit to God's authority, the authority of his word, first and foremost, but then to the authority of the people that he has placed in us, around us, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, whether it's in the church, whether it's within the family, we submit to the point that we do not dishonor and disregard God's authority. Can I make sure I say that, right? Even when we disagree with different political parties within our city, within our community, within our leadership, we still submit to a point as long as we are still honoring God in that submission, right? And so we submit. And listen, there were times when I was asked to do things that made absolutely no sense, but I did it because that's what God had, had called me to do. And, and I'll just say this, like how we respond to those who are in authority over us whether it's at work or school or in church or in life, how we respond to how others in authority are over us affects how we interact with the people that we are in authority over. How we are in relationship with the authority above us will affect how we are in relationship with those that we are in authority over. Does that make sense? And so either you will reap what you sow, right, parents, Right? Either you will reap what you sow or you will have a wrong perception of what you think those that are following you are actually thinking. Does that make sense? I can't find the word for it, but, but you will have a wrong perception. You will think if you are unsupportive and unsubmissive to your authority, the enemy will remind you in ways in making you think that those that you were in authority over are being the same way, but they're not, right? And so we submit to the process, we submit to his authority, and this is the most important part, we submit in private. Man, it's really easy to do what we're supposed to do when the light's on us and the camera's on us, but it's even more important to do what we're supposed to do and submit to the word and to the spirit and to, to the, the authority of the people around us when no one else is watching, when no one else is watching. 
because what's under the surface will eventually come to the top. You know, Scripture says that things that are hidden will be brought to light. And so what you're doing in private will eventually one day be brought to light, whether it's now or on the other side of eternity. will be brought to light in that. And even, let me just say this, even if it is brought to light now, it's gonna hurt, but it's gonna be for your good because it's an operation of taking things out. But if we are doing what we're supposed to do in private, God's calling works through us. And I heard this, I heard this phrase that, that a lot of, and I am a next generation pastor. I believe in the greatness of the next generation of all generations. We are a church that declares the glory of God from one generation to the next. But what we're seeing in young leaders today is that they are underdeveloped and overexposed. They're not doing the work behind the scenes. They're not going through the process. They're not submitting to authority. And they get all this exposure. We get all this exposure. And, and, and there's not the infrastructure of character and experience and grit that's on the inside to be able to withstand when you're in the heat of the moment in the light. And so we have to submit to a mission. We have to be in submission before God calls us on mission. And so Elisha wasn't even known. So going to 2 Kings chapter 3, ahead just a little bit, he wasn't even known as a prophet. He is a prophet, but he's not even known as a prophet. There's, there's a war coming on between the king of Israel and, and Moab, and it's like, is there not a prophet that can give us some direction here? And this is, this is what King Jehoshaphat of Judah says. He says this, is there no prophet of the Lord here whom we may inquire of the Lord? And an officer of the king, an assistant to the king, says this, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He wasn't known as a prophet. He was known as Elijah's assistant. But because he was Elijah's assistant and came under that submission, at this point, God's power is now on him. And he was known for doing the little things. Because how, and you guys have heard this, how you do one thing is how you do everything. How you do the little things is how you will take care of the big things. How you take care of the big things. Then we go on to 2 Kings and I'll give you a quick summary of, of 2 Kings 2, 1 through 14. It's getting near the end of Elijah's tenure. And Elisha knows it. Elijah knows it. And so they're traveling together from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. And they stop at every one of these places. And, and some of the, the students from the schools of prophecy come out to Elisha and they say, don't you know that your master is going to be taken away today? God's taken him away. And he's like, yes, I know, shut your mouth, <laughs> right? And he goes to the next one. They say, don't you know your masters? Yes, I know, shut your mouth. Don't worry about it. And so he follows Elijah across the Jordan River. And, and he asks this statement. He, he, he asks for him. Well, let me just read this in verse eight. It says, Elijah took the cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, the Jordan River, and the water divided it to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And remember all the miracles that have happened place before this where they crossed the Jordan River 
and they cross the Red Sea on dry ground. Elisha knows what's taking place. And so Elijah takes him to the other side. And when they've crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Man, you've been so faithful. You've been by my side. You've, you've done everything I've asked you to do. You've, you've washed my hands. You've washed my feet. You've got my lunch. What can I do for you? And, and Elisha says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. He says, you have asked. Elijah says, look, you've asked a difficult thing, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. And I think Elisha would, would say after looking back at his life that God's calling requires God's power. God's calling requires nothing but God's power. There is like no strength within any of us that can fully accomplish everything that God has called us to do without his strength in us. And so Elisha says, look, all I want is just a double portion of what you have. Because he knew, he knew that the power of God was on Elijah. And, and, and he used the word inherit. And so it's not so much that, that he was wanting something he did not deserve. In the Old Testament, it was the, the firstborn son that gets a double portion more than the other sons. See, on the other side of the river, there's, there's, there's 50 other prophets who have been following Elijah, and so they are in some sense sons of Elijah. They have learned Elijah's trade. They know they have followed. So they are in some sense sons of Elijah. But Elijah says, I want what's mine as your firstborn. I want what's mine as your closest son. Because that's how God works. He gives the greatest measure of grace to his firstborn, Jesus. And we are inheritance co-heirs with that. And so, so it says... You know, you're asking a hard thing. Elijah knows I can't give, you to it, give, give it to you because it's not mine. But if you see me, when the Lord takes me, then you will receive it. So God's calling requires God's power. And let me just encourage you with this. Don't be afraid to ask for it. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask for God ask things from God because we feel like we don't deserve it. We feel like we're unworthy of it. We feel like we will misstort it. We feel all these different things. We feel undeserving of it. But as joint heirs with Christ, as his firstborn, joint means the same. We have the exact same inheritance that Christ has as his firstborn. And so whatever that is, we should not be afraid to ask for it. And sometimes maybe we don't ask because we think, well, we don't really believe God will give. And it could be that maybe we're asking outside of his will. And so as the story goes, it says that as they're walking, it says that a chariot of fire comes and divides them and snatches. It's like a, a drive-by snatch-up. And the chariot grabs Elijah and he goes off and he, and he walks up like he's going into the clouds and his cloak falls onto the ground. And Elijah picks it up. Elisha, come on, he's, Elisha picked it up. 
and he went back the exact same way they came. And it says, Elisha took the cloak and he twisted it and he smacked the water again and the river parted again and he walked across. That was his first miracle. Over the course of his ministry, Elijah performed eight miracles. Elijah got the double portion and he performed 16 miracles. That was the first one. The second or third one, super cool. Some, some kids were making fun of him from being bald. Saying, go away, baldy. Go away, baldy. He cursed them. Some bears came out and mauled 42 children. <laughs> like, let that happen once. Kids will stop talking back to their parents, right? I used to joke about that when my teenagers would make fun of me for going bald as a youth pastor. And I was just like, look, I'm going to call out some she bears. Be careful. And then, it, then his last miracle, Elisha wasn't even alive. His bones were in the grave and a dead man fell on his bones and came back to life. That's how much power was in that man. It wasn't his power, it was God's power. And he had it, not because he deserved it, but because he had been faithful in his calling and he asked, he asked for it. And so I say this, like God has a calling for each and every single one of us, regardless of your age, regardless of your experience. And sometimes I feel like a broken record, but I just want you to get it. I just want you to get it like, like we're called to salvation, but it doesn't stop there. We don't do any work for that. But the next calling, man, that's, that's when it, like the adventure starts. And there's some work and some things that we have to do. And Jesus, Jesus even makes this promise. He says this in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do, is it on the screen? What does it say right there? They will do what? Elisha's asking for a double portion. I've seen you do incredible things, but I want to do more than that. And that's a promise that we have in the new covenant that Jesus says, you're going to do what I've done, but even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Elijah left Elisha, went to the Father. His mantle, his cloak fell. Jesus, Jesus has ascended to the Father. His mantle, his cloak, the Holy Spirit is our mantle. It's our cloak. It's our garment that sets us apart from everyone else. And he says this, he says, and I will do, Jesus says, look, ask, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And we said last week, God doesn't answer prayers just to answer our prayers. He answers our prayers so that he may be glorified. And so these acts that we get to do through his power and his strength, these callings we fulfill, it's not just for us, but it's so that he will be glorified. So you may ask for me, from me, anything in my name, and I will do it. God's called you to salvation, but he's also called you to something greater. And when I say greater, I don't want you to think just a platform, just a place of elevation, just a microphone, just like he has called you. When I say greater, something beyond yourself that will last, outlast you, outlast you. And that 
believe it or not, Avenue Church is something that will outlast my pastors. Avenue Church will be something that will outlast me. What we put into our children will outlast us. The impact that we make at work will outlast us. And so I wanna pray for us that, that if, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, that that would be the first calling that you answer. That there's no work that you have to do. It's already been done. And you, what we do here is we say, look, Jesus, I give you my life. And in the church world, we talk about repentance. And for so long, even when I got saved, it was about turning from sin man, I want to put the focus on Jesus and that we are turning to Jesus and that as we are turning from Jesus, turning from sin becomes a natural byproduct. And so that's, that's where you start in answering, answering that call. And if that's you here today, I just want you to know we want to pray for you. Um, in a moment when we close our eyes, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand if that's you and it's not, that doesn't save you, but it lets me know, hey, who I need to be praying for. And maybe you feel like God's put something on the inside of you. He's calling you. You've been faithful in little things. And maybe you feel like you've been faithful for too long. Or maybe you're like, I don't know if this is a call of God. I don't know. Did he put a cloak on me? I don't know. what's Like, what is this? And like, I want to pray that God will give you clear discernment on whatever that is. So can we pray together? Um, with every head bowed and eye closed. And if you need to answer the call to salvation and Repent, turning to God and away from sin, surrendering your life, just saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I wanna pray for you. If that's you today, it doesn't matter what took place in the last years, months, or weeks, or days leading up to this point. What matters is this moment. Paul says that today is the day of salvation, this moment, and I wanna pray for you. And so if you would just lift your hand so that I know who I can be praying for, and then you can put it right back down. In just a real quick moment, just so that we make a commitment and we know. Awesome. And I want to pray for the rest of us that we would walk in his calling. Father, I just come to you this morning. I thank you so much for your word and the power that it brings and the spirit um, that you have given to us to walk out that calling. Um, God, that each and every single person in here that you have brought us to a place um, of relationship with you, the decision is ours to choose, to take a step towards that. And knowing and turning into relationship with you, there's some things that we walk away from, that we turn away from, but our focus is you, that we place our eyes on you. And God, for those in here today that do not have a relationship with you, I pray that they would simply say, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender to you. God, for the rest of us that maybe we think we don't have a calling, maybe our calling is too small, is maybe insignificant. God, when you place your hand on us, nothing is significant. And God, that you created us, that we are your masterpiece, that we are your greatest work, that you created us new in your son to do great works, great things that you had planned for us. Some of those great things will be done in public, in private, within our homes, on stages, behind the scenes, to small groups, to individuals, to crowds, but it's not the platform that makes it, makes it significant. It's your call on our life. 
And so even if it's simply pouring water on the hands that you've placed us around, God, we wanna do that. And we thank you for the life that we have and the life that you're giving us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.